Hey, welcome. Emma Vaughn going to be with us uh, about 15 minutes from now, Republican National Committee. And uh, right now we kick off the program uh, with uh, the uh, Show Me Institute. Pleased to tell you, David Stokes is on board. I'm looking at a map right now of Missouri commercial surcharge tax rates by county. Uh, surcharge, explain what you mean by surcharge. Good morning, Gary. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing well. And now that you're on, I'm doing even better. I feel the same way. So the commercial <laughs> surcharge, the commercial surcharge is one of Missouri's lesser known taxes. It's applied in every county with a countywide rate that varies substantially by by county. And it, it was a replacement tax set up in 1985 when they phased out an old inventory tax that everybody hated. So... So we put this map together a few months ago uh, because there's been some movement in a couple counties to, for the first time since 1985, propose lowering the rate. This is So it's a property tax that's applied only on commercial property, hence the, ter- hence the title commercial surtax. It's only on the real estate, not the personal property, but the real estate and buildings of, a, of a commercial businesses. And it, it can be very high in certain counties, in St. Louis and Clay County and Laclede County, uh, and very low in other counties, including Camden County, uh, right in the heart of the Lake of the Ozarks, which has one of the state's lowest rates. And Reynolds, it's hard to change. Reynolds, Reynolds, is, one of the most... Reynolds is like 0.01. Forgot a business. That's, is, where... right, That's right, right. Reynolds is the lowest county in the state by this tax. Now, that's... Reynolds County is mostly Mark Twain National Forest, which is one of the reasons it's uh, so low there. But, but uh, so one of the things about this tax is that unlike most other property taxes, it doesn't roll back as assessments increase. So in like Laclede County, which has a very high tax and with which people get your show every day, uh, it doesn't roll back as, as there's economic growth in that county. Like the value, value of your home or your farm does. So that's a real problem. And in Laclede County, they put in Laclede County is a little bit south of Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, Lebanon's the main city in Laclede County. I know you've got listeners in the county right now. And they just put on the ballot a pretty substantial reduction of this tax on the on the November ballot to go from a dollar three per hundred of assessed valuation, which is by far the largest of the counties in its surrounding area down to 51 cents per hundred, which is pretty average for the state. And I think this is a great a great change for Laclede County. I think it'll help Laclede County be more competitive with neighboring counties to attract businesses. It's not some special deal for some businesses. It's a general tax cut that will be for every business, every commercial property within the county. And you know how important we think that is at the Show Me Institute, Gary, we hate special special subsidies for the few. We like tax cuts for everyone. And I think this is a really going to be a beneficial change in Laclede County. They're doing the same thing up in Clay County, north of Kansas City. And I'd love to see a bunch of counties start proposing this to the voters. Yeah. Um, is there any way that voters can push this on their own? Uh, they can. That's never been done either. I think if you if you demand through a signature process uh, to, that your commission put it on the ballot, uh, that can be done. But I think easier is just for people in their own counties 
to approach. That's what happened in Laclede County and Clay County. People approached the commissions uh, and said, look, we've looked at this rate. We're much higher than our neighboring counties because when they set this rate in 1985, uh, the formula they used uh, resulted in higher taxes in these certain counties. And now you've got, it's 2022, and you're setting these taxes based on the economic situation of 1985. So it's time in Laclede County to change this, to lower it. It's still not going to roll back every year going forward. That's set by the state constitution. So once you lower it this time, as commercial properties and businesses grow in Laclede County, you're still going to see expansion going forward uh, and revenue increases in the long run. So it's a really good move for Laclede County here. And it's uh, it's interesting. Elected officials cannot lower this tax. All they can do is put it on the ballot for voters to lower it. And in Laclede County and Clay County as well, uh, I hope they do. Yeah, I hope so too. But I'm looking at this map and I'm thinking, geez, we've got a lot of counties. I mean, this, <laughs> this, this is, uh, it's almost ridiculous how many counties we have. Well, that is... That is true. We have the, the fourth highest number of counties of, of any state. The the legend is that when the state was created, you know, in in, eight, in 1821, I believe, was the year we were created. I hope I didn't get that wrong. Uh, that, uh, you know, they wanted every county seat to be within a one-day horse ride of, of the people who live in that county. So they didn't want the counties to be too large. Most of the states created around that time have a number of counties as compared to a lot of the western states created 50, 80, 90 years later where the counties are much, much, much larger. So it's just an interesting differentiation. But I do believe that there are some really small counties with really small populations in parts of Missouri that should consider merging with neighboring counties to get some economies of scale. I don't necessarily think that needs to be done by a lot of counties. Put up like in Worth County on the Iowa border, which is small by area and population. I, I think it's something that can be looked into. Uh, boy, Callaway County, not bad. 0 0.11 uh, for the tax. I, I think this, I think, you know, it's when they replaced this inventory tax, certain counties that had a lot of businesses that didn't generate inventory, such as the tourism-dependent counties of the Lake of the Ozark region, Miller, Camden, and, and Morgan, they have very low rates. Counties that had a lot of, like, factories that produced a lot of inventory that was taxed, they tend to have high rates. Uh, the problem is, again, this, those were the economic conditions of 1985, and you've sort of been stuck in that. So it's great to see the Laclede County Commission uh, put this on the ballot to help grow the economy of Laclede County. And, of course, the school district is opposed, uh, even though the, the amount of money they project to lose if, with this tax cut is very small. It's far less than 1% of their annual revenue. And the, the Lebanon R3 school district, the main school district in the county, you know, they're just swimming in federal stimulus funds. They got millions of dollars in stimulus funds uh, last year. You know, and they, like governments around the state of Missouri, and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch had a big story on this just yesterday, you know, cities, counties, school districts are seeing a windfall with the increase in, the, in used car values over the past two years. Uh, used car values are going up, not down, as they traditionally have. And they, too, they're the other tax that don't roll back as assessments go up. So school districts all over the state are seeing hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars for the largest 
in tax increases this year based on used car values, and that has got to be changed. We've got to roll back tax rates as personal property values increase, just like we do with most real estate properties. Well, I tried to get rid of that. Uh, I, I, see I know the, you did. I, I, I know you did. We've talked about it a few times. And, yeah, I, look, taxing property taxes should be based on land and buildings much more than on cars and boats and farm equipment and grain and, and computers. All of those things are taxed for personal property in Missouri, and it's just not a good system. So the Missouri commercial surcharge tax, if I'm in the city of St. Louis, do I also pay the St. Louis County? No, St. Louis City, because it is treated as a county for these purposes, it has its own uh, commercial surtax, which is slightly lower than St. Louis County's rate. Those those are the two highest rates in the state, $1.70 per hundred in St. Louis County and just barely less in St. Louis City. The third highest is Clay County, north of Kansas City. That's so high probably because of the enormous Ford plant that's been in the county for many, many years. Uh, that probably generated a lot of inventory taxes from all the cars, you know, sitting on the lot every day out there. So wow. that's why in Clay County, that's why in Clay County, they're trying to lower their rate somewhat, fairly slightly, but trying to lower it to equal Jackson County to their south, which is Kansas City's major county, and uh, just to sort of level the playing field for businesses out in that region so that tax isn't higher than Jackson County. I think that's a smart move by Clay County as well. So I get to pay, if I live in St. Louis, the federal income tax, the federal excise tax, the state income tax, the city income tax, the personal property tax, the property tax, and if I have a business, uh, I uh, get to pay this other tax. And in addition to the sales tax, what a mess. David Stokes, the Show Me Institute, thank you for being with us. Jerry, I always enjoy being on the air with you, and you can find a lot about the commercial surtax and this map that we put together at showmeinstitute.org. All right, David, thank you. David Stokes. Thank you. Coming up, uh, Emma Vaughn is going to be with us on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1021. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we've got uh, Mo Freedom, uh, no, MoFirst.org coming up. Uh, we'll have uh, Ron Calzone on board talking about uh, elections and, and being discerning. Uh, but in the meantime, we kick off this segment of the program uh, with Emma Vaughn. She is the uh, National Press Secretary and a fellow Cleveland Heitzer. Uh, Emma, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's talk about this uh, new version of the contract of, with America. Uh, what's in this and, and why should we be excited about it? So I think it's great. You know, um, Kevin McCarthy and Republicans, I mean, across the board, have really been listening to voters, meeting voters where they are, and, and talking about the issues that voters care about. I mean, I mean it's unprecedented. I mean, it's, it's crazy that it's, we're the only ones doing this this cycle. I mean, um, the White House, you know, we know wants to avoid talking about anything, you know, from the multiple crises they created to inflation. Um, but it's great that Kevin McCarthy, along with Republicans and House leadership, um, put together this this con this commitment to America, and it and it, it actually, I know a lot of folks are saying it reminds them of. Um, Newt Gingrich's contract to America, but for the commit this for this one, you know, it's, it's kind of based on four key pillars. Um, you know, 
strengthening our economy, securing our nation, you know, including the border crisis, um, making sure that families have, um, putting families first, and um, really, you know, just getting back to that American dream. And I think um, we, we've seen, you know, great, um, great reception from voters. You know, this is something that we hear on the campaign trail. You know, you know, we know Democrats are bad and and, and putting our, our country last. But um, what are Republicans going to do when we take back the House? And I think this is this is exactly it. Um, um, uh, it's kind of like a roadmap to to the success we'll see when when Republicans take back our majorities. Emma, did I, do I understand that they intend to uh, reverse this uh, this uh, uh, cash of money that it's going to the IRS? Um, yeah, I believe that, that that's definitely part of the plan. I know, um, as we know, when we take back the House and Senate, we'll obviously still have a Democrat president in the White House. So it's important, you know, to use to kind of get creative with congressional tools and and be able to, you know, use the powers of committees and hearings and obviously legislation to not only halt um, any of these these horrible, um, reckless spending packages that that the the White House is is pushing through Congress, but also yeah, to to, to hold some of these agencies accountable you know i know and, and it, in conjunction with the commitment to america plan mccarthy also outlaid i think earlier this week it was um examples of how um republicans on, on, on committees will will be investigating these crises you know everything from afghanistan to how um how we responded to china and and covid and, and really holding folks accountable and yes the irs i believe will be at the top of that those priorities you know, of course, that uh, the Democrats have only, you know, a couple of arrows in their quiver. Uh, one of them is abortion and the other one is Trump. Uh, and they've been they've been working both of them hard. And I, I believe the steaming pile of Pelosi suggested that that this <laughs> this contract was <laughs> was a <laughs> was it, it was a ex- Trump extremist. What was the quote, Brian? Do you remember? Which uh, no, I don't. Because we predicted it. We knew that that was going to be their... Yeah, they, they're labeling all Republicans as extremists. If yeah. uh, they come up with an idea that's contrary to what the uh, Democrats have, as you're an extremist. extremist. Yeah. yeah, you're a Trump extremist. Um, tell me, what is the response from the general public? Have you heard on this contract? Have they... Have you done any polling? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I haven't looked at too many polls, um, but, you know, what we're hearing on the ground, you know, just anecdotally is, is going back to, you know, voters have been asking, you know, like we, we know that the Democrats, we, we can see it in our, our bank accounts. We can see it when we go to the grocery store. We can we can see when we look at horrible images of the southern border, like what Democrats and Biden have done to our country. And we want, you know we want something positive you know it's this negative time in the campaign cycle where i'm sure you turn on the tv and all and all i mean that's how it is here in dc all you see is negative um campaign ads people want you know some positive things forward thinking things to look forward to and that's what this this commitment to america does and we're, we're seeing great reception from voters and it's because we're doing exactly what um we're, we're talking about the issues that care that voters are caring about from your pocketbook from securing our, our communities and our border from create for for you know encouraging a free america to um to holding governments accountable and and just like you said democrats are really only talking about two things abortion and trump and you know we saw in virginia in 2021 um the gubernatorial race between um glenn youngkin and terry mcauliffe 
Terry McAuliffe only talked about Trump, and and we now know that there's Governor Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. Um, and then talking about the abortion issue, if you look at polls where Americans, why voters are going to the to the ballot box in November, abortion is 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 never amongst the top issues. It's never even really in the top three. It's it's the first two are usually some version of the economy, whether that's inflation or rising prices, and then then a crime and, and safety is going to be number three and. Democrats can't run on those issues because you look at Democrat-controlled cities, Democrat-run states, crime is skyrocketing, and, and econ- the economy across the board is tanking, and it's because of the failed leadership of Biden and every single Democrat in Congress who has, who has rubber-stamped this failed agenda. And, you know, I, that's why, you know, we're seeing great reception um, from voters with this commitment to America, because, again, we're talking about the issues they care about. We're not shoving January 6th hearings down their throat. You know, we're not talking about abortion. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about the, the pocketbook issues that that and kitchen table issues that Americans are concerned about. You know, I look at the spending. Uh, the Democrats are upping their spending. They're outspending the Republicans on these House races. That tells me they're desperate. Uh, that tells yes. me that they see the handwriting on the wall and they're trying desperately in the last few weeks to turn that around. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting when you look at, I mean, obviously the numbers just as a whole, Democrats are obviously outspending. Um, but if you look at where um, where they're spending, they're spending their money to defend Democrat say what used to be safe districts. You know what I mean? They're, they're spent, where for, Republicans are, because of this failed leadership and, and failure from Democrats across the board, w- Republicans are able to put Democrats in on defense in Washington state and in and, and congressional districts in California, in Nevada, in Arizona, they're in Connecticut, you know, these Democrat strongholds or whatever you want to call them, blue states or red states, Republicans are able to compete and win um, in these districts. And that's where Democrats are going to have are, are, are already blowing um, millions of dollars to defend these states. And, you know, I know there's like the, the there's a big narrative in mainstream media that Republicans um, were not are investing our money wisely. I would just like to brag a bit about Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. Um, just last month in August, we the Republican National Committee outraised our counterparts, the DNC, for another month. Um, we've we've been out raising them consistently cycle to date. And we're also actually outspending the DNC, which is which is is good for two reasons because one we're making those strategic investments where we have community centers to engage with minority communities because we know those are going to be the um the boon of this um election and and, and, and catapulting republicans to victory well we will uh, see how it unfolds but i uh, my prediction i and i've been pushing this i, I just think that the uh, republicans are going to take uh the house and the senate uh i, I, I yeah. just i don't i think that we're seeing this uptick in women uh, registering to vote for more than just the abortion issue. I think more women mm-hmm. are registering to vote because their economy stinks. They're trying to feed their families. Uh, and I think that might be part of that surge. Maybe not all, but part of it. Mm-hmm. I think when, when speaking about 
women voters, it's the same way you would you would talk how Democrats are taking women voters for granted the same way that they've been taking minority voters for granted. You know, for, for decades, they thought Hispanics only cared about the border. Hispanics, you know, they're they're smart voters. You know, they, they can think about, like, they're, they're, concerned, they're concerned about economy as well. And same with women. Obviously, abortion is, is, is being used as a hot topic issue. But women, like you said, need to care about feeding their, their families and, and buying school supplies and all that important. All right. Emma, I've got to run. Thank you for being with us from the RNC. We're going to check uh, check in with Ron Calzone next. This is the Gary Nolan Show. Welcome. Uh, it's Think Tank Thursday. Gary Nolan Show. Zimmer Radio. Glad to have you with us. It is uh, 1035 and coming up in uh, about 15 minutes, Bill Slants is going to be with us, chairman of the Libertarian Party of the state of Missouri. We'll find out who's running for what and what we know and how they would change things. Uh, then uh, we'll talk about the uh, final uh, second quarter GDP report. It's uh, it's here, <laughs> and it ain't pretty. Uh, in the meantime, we'll kick off this segment of the program with Ron Calzone. Calzone. Uh, and that is MoFirst.org, using discernment in this campaign season. Ron, welcome. How are you? I'm well. Enjoying this gorgeous weather in Missouri. It's a change. Listen, what do you mean by uh, use discernment? I mean, don't we always use discernment when we vote? <laughs> Let's get serious. You know, discernment is uh, a skill, I'm afraid, that has been waning, in, you know, generationally. And yet I think it's probably the most, one of the most important skills that we have. We need discernment for just about everything, from selecting what we're going to have for breakfast to, you know, what job we take, what you know, what kind of automobile we buy and, you know, fill in the blank. And it's, and it's especially needed, I think, when you're dealing with political candidates who are always spinning. You know, they want your vote more than they want anything. And, you know, obviously, and not, this, is, this is nothing I need to tell you or any of your listeners, uh, what you see is not always what you get. In fact, what you see is usually not what you get. Yeah. And and so it takes discernment to understand, uh, you know, to be able to ferret out the the spin from uh, what is true, what's the real thing. And you know, most normal people aren't immersed in politics twenty four seven like you know many of my my crazy friends are. And um, and so for them, campaign season should be an opportunity to be educated. But unfortunately, when all you get is spin or one narrative or another narrative, there's really not any educating take place. And, and that's why this morning, when I saw an article in the Joplin Globe, I, I felt like it, it was a refreshing thing. Uh, it was dealing with the three candidates that are running for the 7th Congressional District, so that's southwest Missouri. And those three candidates are uh, Eric Senator, State Senator Eric Burleson, a good friend of mine, a good friend and ally, uh, Kristen Schaefer of Joplin, I've never heard of, she's running, and Eric's running on the Republican Party, Kristen is running as a Democrat, and then Kevin Craig, who's running as a Libertarian on the Libertarian Party platform. And the Joplin Globe asked them this question, what is your view of climate change? Would you support legislation to address climate change, and why or why not? So, as you might expect, uh, Ms. Schaefer 
the Democrat running, gave the typical Democrat line. You know, she said, we can see the changes in our climate on a near daily basis, you know, which is, of course, ludicrous. No scientist, even the most ardent uh, proponent of the need to deal with climate change, would never say you see that they see change on a daily basis. And then she gives the typical Democrat spin on it. And then my good friend Eric Burleson, um, he, he looked at what was hot right now politically. And he said, I believe we should be protecting energy jobs here at home, not sanctioning them. And then he goes on to point out that uh, when, we, when we follow the, you know, the climate change uh, narrative, then we also make life more expensive for people. And so those were both kind of typical party spins, although I'm, I'm glad that, that Senator Burleson at least didn't capitulate and say, yeah, we should be concerned about climate change, and you know, the, a lot of weak-kneed Republicans would say that. But what was particularly refreshing was Mr. Craig, who said, supporting such legislation would be a violation of my oath to support the Constitution. <laughs> You know, so he got down to the crux of the matter. If they're elected, do they even have the authority to enact legislation dealing with this issue? But then he goes on, and this is what's really radical. I particularly appreciate it because this guy, you know, he's running on the Libertarian Party. You know, is he going to win, Gary? We can only hope. Uh, he won't. <laughs> we can hope, but he won't win. Well, you see, but uh, he's, so, he's the one guy who has principles. He, he is, and what's more exciting to me than even that is, is he's using this opportunity in this race for, for Congress to educate. And so he goes on to say, on balance, I think global warming or the greenhouse effect would be a good thing. Plants love CO2. A warmer planet is a greener planet, and that would be good for human beings too. And then wow. he goes on and he explains, I'm sorry, yeah, so, you know, nobody considers whether or not, so I'm, I am, I'm a creationist. I, I believe that uh, your body, my body, the earth, the universe, time and space was, was uh, created by the master engineer. God knew what he was doing. And it very well could be that he figured out, he knew in advance that as the population, world population grew, uh, we would need more elbow room. And, and it could be that a warming effect, if, we, if the globe is warming, and I'm not convinced that it is, but if it is warming, maybe that's by design. Maybe some of that land in, in Canada that's just tundra right now will become uh, arable cropland, and we'll have more, actual more real estate to support uh, more people. So maybe it's a good thing. And so he, he kind of... He, 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 in his response, he kind of investigates that opportunity. He goes on to say, many climatologists dispute the claim that recent global warming has resulted in more hurricanes, fires, droughts, and floods. So he points out that uh, many of the professionals, the scientists, don't agree with this climate change narrative. And so here we have a guy that, you know, he's smart enough to know that he doesn't have a path to win. But he's using this opportunity to actually educate rather than just spin and give, you know, narrative A or narrative B. 
And, and I thought that was refreshing. And I think we should demand more of that from our candidates. Yeah, that would be nice. But they are not principled. So you're not going to see that uh, from the Democrats or the Republicans. This guy has the intestinal fortitude to tell the truth. He is principled. And that is why I am a recovering Republican. And if more voters would stand up and say, I want the truth, I don't want spin, I want somebody who will uh, adhere to the Constitution, uh, if more voters would realize that neither party is going to stop us from going over the cliff, Democrats or Republicans. The only difference between them, Ron, is the speed at which we approach the cliff. Or the Republican train is going a little slower than the Democrat train. That's that. about the it's extent. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, do I want to vote for someone who's going to send me over the cliff? Or do I want to vote for somebody who's going to stop this speeding train? And, you know, it, it's the, my, my main point, though, is it takes discernment on the part of the people, of the voters, to, to know when it's just one spin or another spin. And, and, I, and we need to call them on it. We need, to, we need to call them on the carpet when they give just one spin. And, and, and their answer is just about getting elected. Well, rather than rather than educating in, in principles and good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I just I don't see that that happening in that party. All right. You know, many years ago, when when Blaine Lichtenmeyer was uh, first elected to Congress, he won. If you recall, he won only by you know one and a half or two percentage points. It was very close. And, and he knew that, uh, or his people knew that I had ties to the Libertarian Party and the Constitution Party and some of these other third parties. They, they were inviting me to speak at their annual conventions. And, and, I, and he knew that people running on third-party tickets uh, in his next race might make that 1% or 2% difference. And so he invited me and, and uh, Paul Hamby, who's been on your program before, and um, maybe one or two others to, to participate in a roundtable. And, and the whole idea, I felt like, was to try to get us on their team so we could talk the third-party folks into not running candidates against them. But the power, the power is in that, you know, 2 or 3% that a third-party or Libertarian Party or Constitution Party candidate can, can garner and, and make a difference in those kind of close races. And the third-party candidates need to learn how to leverage that. Well, this has been my argument for years. If the Republicans want to win, we have to make them want the Libertarians. And in order to do that, they have to stand on principle. Uh, and if they do that, then, you know, then they can win. Uh, but until we can hold their feet to the fire, they're not going to change. And part part of doing that, that needs to be the willingness of of a Republican. Uh, I'm sorry, of a um, a Libertarian or Constitution Party candidate, not going against a principled Republican. You know, so Ron Paul is probably the best example I can think of that. You know, and you did see a lot of 
members of both the liber- you know, card-carrying members of the Libertarian and the Constitution Party uh, supporting Ron Paul because they, they recognized that he had their values and he was principled. And, and so I think when you find a Republican candidate like that, uh, you, you should give him support even if you're part of a third party. Well, I think they did that with him, <clears throat> and I would do that too. So, all right, I'm up against the clock. i got to take a quick break. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org, be discerning with your vote. That is to say, discriminate against the bad guys. You're listening. Thanks, Ron. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 52 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, all right, so I just uh, got through with the Republican National Committee a few minutes ago uh, with uh, their guest, and Anson sent me a message. He said, why do you let these RNC folks on your show? It doesn't really matter which one shows up because they all sound like identical robots that speak in a language of prepared and focused group talking points. None of them sound genuine. Do they really believe what they're saying, or are they just doing their job? Williams sent me a message. If they take Congress, will they once again do absolutely nothing to defend the Bill of Rights? Will they compromise with evil, as usual, to think differently is the... uh, No. What is this? To think differently is the definition of insanity. Same thing, same results. Uh, And then finally, Renwick Renwick said, Republicans and Democrats only. There's not a nickel's worth of difference between the two. Which is why we have now added to Think Tank Thursday the Libertarian Party. My political party. Uh, And Bill Slants is with us. He is the chairman of the uh, Missouri Libertarian Party. Bill, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Dave. Good good to be on your show again. Did you happen to hear the last segment of the program? Were you listening? I did. I did hear that, yes. I don't know about you, but I was impressed that we have a candidate who understands the limits of power at the federal level uh, and who whose answer was so well informed. Uh, it, it's people like that, it's principled candidates like that, that we should be electing. I agree with that. Uh, he, he certainly was correct on the issues from my viewpoint. And, it, and he clearly articulated uh, uh, logic and, and reason. So what's holding him back? Is it just money? Is it, you know, do you, is it he's not getting the money that he needs to run a successful campaign? Well, it's, yeah, it, money is everything. And in uh, this day and age and elections, I mean, if you don't have the money, you have no chance at all. Uh, but you also have to have the endorsement of those uh, around you who want you to be there. So it's the, the incumbents uh, in office. It, it's just a stranglehold. The incumbents who also have money will do what they can do to either campaign for you or either contribute to your your campaign and basically just locking out the other the other side. Um, it's not all money. Obviously, you have to have the right ideas and you have to be able to speak well about them or be clear about them. But, but for the most part, money wins. Um, that's how this, that's how this, uh, these elections have been going for the last uh, 50 years. Money wins. So when, uh, when we uh, look at uh, polling data, uh, do most Americans believe what we believe as libertarians, but they're compromising with the Republicans and the Democrats? Or are we just outliers? 
Well, you know, I've always said that uh, deep down inside, if I give you a couple of minutes of time, we'll find that each one of you are libertarian and just don't know it. Um, <clears throat> but, I, you know, I think it's more comfortable for people to follow the mass rather than, than, than you know, most people behave in a way where uh, they feel most safe or comfortable um, doing what they perceive everybody else is doing rather than being the outliner or being the, being the person who's uh, thinking for themselves. You know, I think that that's where these elections go. They, they don't really understand the issues and they just pick a side and go with whatever they say that side should do. Would, would um, runoff voting help the libertarians like they do in Alaska? Well, it, it, rank choice. Uh, yeah, rank choice voting. It didn't really go the way they expected it to go uh, this time around. So I don't know. I I'm not really an advocate for rank choice voting. I'm more of a guy for uh, uh, if I it's a proportional representation. If anybody's ever heard of that, proportional representation is is the, if the Libertarian Party were to get six uh, percent of uh, the vote then we should be represented in, in where you know whatever whatever body of government we're in by six percent so there's 500 persons in congress and three of them should be libertarian uh in, in proportional representation so it, it, it so libertarians are not being represented except for a few um so-called republicans or so-called democrats who kind of lean libertarian ways uh but but they're not they're they're, they're you know, anyway, yeah, proportional re re representation would be, I think, the ideal way to um, hold an election. So, uh, in, you know, in my district, it's, it's, it's strong. My, my congressional district is very strong leaning Republican. So there are no Democrats in my district that are being represented fairly. If my district was represented fairly, we'd have, um, you know, two Republicans, one Democrat and a Libertarian. Uh, serving uh, the district, but we don't have it that way. Well, that's because Congress artificially limited the number of House seats and districts continue to grow as the population expands, and so you don't really have representatives that represent you. Correct. Right. Which is a shame. It's a shame. And you're absolutely right. Uh, at this point in time, when Congress first came up with a 400-some-odd uh, members of Congress, it, it, the population of the country is half the size that it is today. So, uh, you know, I'm not advocating that we double the size of Congress because I mean, that would just double the size of the mess. But uh, well, that actually I, think I think might be a good thing. It is. It would it ultimately would be because you would just you would just have more um, discussion uh, uh, about about topics, and that it, it would it would put Congress would not be if you had. Uh, a 1,000 member Congress it wouldn't be D's and R's it yeah. would be D, R's, L's, C's Green's, the whole, they would all be there Yep. alright, listen good. I'm about out of time but hopefully next week you'll bring a Congress representative, I'm sorry, a candidate with you I'll uh, do that and we'll uh, see if we can give him a little boost Bill, thank you for being with us you're welcome, thanks, uh, thanks. Bill Slants Chairman of the Libertarian Party of the State of Missouri. Final second quarter GDP report is here. Oh, I don't think Biden's going to like this. That's next. This is the Gary Nolan Show.